0: Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. I just want to thank y'all for being in the community you are for the the texts and the phone calls and the questions and uh, checking in over the last week as I've uh, begun to see what's going on with my father. Your uh, your love and uh, kindness and uh, thought for your pastor uh, is overwhelming. And so many of you even this morning have asked and um, and the, 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 the answer is we've got a long road ahead of us um, with the, the journey we're navigating. And um, I can't imagine a church community to be surrounded by uh, that would be any better than the way you've treated me. Um, and so thank you. I'm going to try to preach a sermon today that has nothing to do with, with anything uh, going on in my life. But I'm feeling weepy right now. So we're just going to roll with it. And if I seem, seem a little off, that's it. So can you pray with me? Holy and loving God, Um, open our hearts and minds to hear afresh from your word today to to see in which uh, ways in which you have revealed yourself in our sacred text and how you uh, will reveal yourself to us through your spirit today. Give us boldness to receive the word and to go forth from here and uh, to proclaim your love to the world. pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. In seminary, we learned a Bible study method called inductive Bible study. It was a game changer for me such that we've made it the official uh, Bible study method of our discipleship intensive. We have found that engineers and CPAs thrive in inductive Bible study because it's a rigorous process to get through the text. And you have uh, steps to go through and questions to ask and uh, things to consult so that you make sure you're, you're coming to the the, the the root meaning of the text and then you can use your tools to to seek the interpretation of the text and then to apply or appropriate it in your life Uh, it's great for someone who thinks methodically it is not great for my wife who wants to just come and let the spirit speak to her and we found this beautiful harmony of coming to the text in both of our own ways Uh, she'll come and do lectio divina and find this great word from god and i'll come and study it inductively and i'll find this great word from god and somehow god speaks in and all of that. But I'm going to speak today about from from my strength of study, Inductive Bible Study. Uh, One of the first things you do after you you kind of situate the context of a text is you begin to work through structural relationships. What is happening in the text that either the author explicitly meant to do or just does because the way they write? We look for things like cause and effect relationships. Uh, Because this happened, that happened. We look for uh, comparisons because this person is like this or this person is like that we look for contrasts this person was great but this person was terrible we look for uh, structures like the chiasm where we look for repeated patterns of a b c b a uh, we, we look through the text uh, each week and asking uh, how did the author structure this passage in order to convey their meaning and, and not every text has every relationship uh, so you have to, to, to allow yourself not to like overlook into the text. Okay, is this legitimately there or is it something I'm just making up? It, it's got checks and balances. But there's one interpretive determinant in every single passage. Whether you're studying a verse or the whole of the canon, there, there is one relationship every time you come to the text. The climax. What is the literary high point of the text you're, you're approaching? What is, what is the point that gets you to the, uh, the grand thrust of the author's meaning? Where have they taken you uh, to kind of land in this moment? If you can find that, it really helps you to begin situating, uh, so what is God trying to tell me through this broader passage, and how has the author built us to this moment? The climax is a, a great tool to uncover meaning and uh, to help guide us to appropriation of uh, what God would have us do. We can look, like I said, from uh, Matthew uh, 5, 48, be therefore perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, as the climax of the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. Or we could take, let's say, 2 Samuel 5, 1 through 10, our Old Testament passage for today, and see that as the climax of Israel's story. We can literally take the scriptures from Genesis to this moment and say, uh, how does this, this moment climax Israel's story? Israel's story started even before there was Israel. We know the, the scriptures tell us about creation and the fall. We see humanity cast out east of Eden in this ongoing journey where God is seeking uh, to rescue humanity and bring them back into right relationship with him. We see the first covenant made with Abraham uh, carried through with Isaac and Jacob. And we, we see this uh, turn of page from Genesis to Exodus where uh, we find uh, a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. We find the people who uh, are in bondage in Egypt and enslaved. We find the people who, uh, who, who are desperate for the love of their God to deliver them uh, from their captivity. We have the Moses story, the story of how God worked through this uh, person who is not self-secure and not uh, confident at all to deliver Israel from Egypt with the promise that he would take them into this land that he promised to their ancestors. And we have this wilderness narrative where we see people time and time again doubt God's goodness. It would have been better to stay in Egypt. We, We should have stayed back there. At least then we knew we had food. And God provides food. We should have stayed back there because at least then we had water and God provides water. We should have stayed back there because now all we have is this little grain stuff and we want meat too. And so God raidens down quell. In the wilderness, God meets Moses on Mount Sinai and renews the covenant, offering them law as a way to draw near and to set boundaries. They... Uh, Re cut this covenant in the blood of the sacrifice that Moses declares from the mountain this God is your God, have no other gods before him. And the people continued to rebel time after time after time, such that one generation didn't trust Yahweh to deliver them and they die in the wilderness. The story carries on in Joshua and Judges through this period of entering the land but not quite having God's promises. They're there, but they're always at battle. They're there, but it's hard to see God's presence. They're there, but they're always facing war. We, we sit in the muck and mire of seeing how Israel time after time after time uh, draws near to God and then runs away from God. And then how ultimately they reject uh, Yahweh and his prophets as their leader and, and demand a king just like the other nations. They want a king. Uh, handsome strapping man to come lead them into battle to be the warrior king that all the other nations had and god gives in to their demands they uh, get saul who at multiple occasions steps over his role as king and and tries to usurp the role of prophet to take on the role of priest and and only god uh denies his, his anointing to Saul and, and anoints David as the next king. We see the story of David growing up from a handsome young boy who will slay Goliath to court musician uh, to exile from fear of Saul. In last week's text, we saw Saul die and David uh, begin the process of becoming king. But as we read in today's text, he's only the king over part of the people of God at that point. He uh, reigns in Hebron as the king of, Jeru- of, uh, of Judah and the south of, uh, of, of a very uh, small part of Israel. See, Saul didn't just have Jonathan; he had other sons, and one Ishbosheth has been reigning in the north, the northern part of Israel, as king for seven and a half years. and And at today's text, we come to the death of Ishbosheth, and it's a it's a made for TV PG thirteen story about how we got here. We're not going to get into Uh, who all was killed between last week's text and this week's. That's a Tuesday morning Bible study thing. But we get to this point, finally, where David is the king of all of Israel, this united kingdom of God. He is one part of the tripartite government of a theocracy. He is the king, we have a prophet, and we have a priest. And in today's text, he finally defeats the last group uh, living in Canaan, the Jebusites who have taken... Uh, hold of Jerusalem and and drives them out after they have taunted him. Uh, This text is is uncomfortable about the way it talks about uh, people. The the Jebusites taunt and say, uh, even our handicap could beat you, David. And David drives their greatest forces out of town. He unites the whole kingdom and he takes on this throne. And this is the climax of Israel's story. The text ends with, uh, and David grew in might and strength for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. The text climaxes in the, the fullness of the promises and declares the why, the cause and effect, or in this case, the effect and the cause. Uh, things happened and they grew in stature because, because Yahweh, the God of hosts, was with David. This is decades in the making, some 20 to 30 years after uh, the first signs of anointing for David. This has been a long wait where, at turn after turn, people seem to try to to accelerate David's uh, coronation. Time after time, he says, Wait, God God is going to take care of this. And the text climaxes with David finally making good on all of the promises God made in covenant because God was with him. This turning point in Israel's story declares that because Yahweh is involved, things are right. And we'll see that from now on we're going to hear David referred to as a a king after God's own heart. Even when he messes up and he's going to mess up and mess up and mess up still. That he has God's heart. He listens to the prophets when they rebuke him and call him back to God. He honors the Torah uh, and, and seeks to be obedient. And God is with him. The only way David can do the things he does is because God is with him. If we read Israel's story, this seems to be the climax, and and most would argue that it is, but we know that this is actually another structural relationship we find in inductive Bible study. This begins the pivot. The, The whole story of Israel is now going to take a dramatic turn. This, this very brief moment of all the promises of God being there is only for most of David's life. Before he even dies, he's at war with his own children. The, the nation is already dividing. When he does die and Solomon takes over as king, though he's uh, acknowledged as being wise and seeking God's wisdom, he, he enslaves his own people to build a temple. He, uh, he makes political treaties with nations across the world. He marries foreign wives and and it just spirals from there with king after king who trusted themselves. In the north, we see no good kings, no kings who, who worshipped Yahweh and sought to do his will. We see time after time how they'll uh, worship foreign gods that they think are uh, expeditious in helping them accomplish their goals. They will trample upon people time and time again, and they will forsake Yahweh. And the north goes into exile as the Assyrians take over and uh, wipes them uh, off the face of the map. The south holds on a little better. Out of their whole long list of kings, we actually get four good kings, kings who were after the heart of David. But all the rest of them are just as bad as the kings of the north. And eventually their rejection of Yahweh is just as strong as as the north. And uh, Babylon, now the dominant global superpower, comes in and ransacks the south. Takes back Jerusalem and scatters the people among uh, the Babylonian lands. For God to have dwelt in the midst of the people in the land that God had promised, with a king who was after God's own heart, with a priest and prophet who were doing their roles, we now find that Israel is scattered with no temple to go to, with prophets in the exile telling them it's your fault. With no king, and a word from God that you need to settle in because we're going to be here for a while. Israel's story, as recounted in the Hebrew Bible, ends with them coming back into the into into the promised land under uh, kind of um, the direction of of Persia, right? Yeah, Persia. Um, But they get there, and it's not what God had promised. The temple is piddly. The kings are already uh, causing problems. They're already breaking Torah. And they're sure the presence of the God is not in the temple. And so for 400 years, we have uh, the page flip from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Where Israel tries to figure out how, how they can get back to the glory days that less than a century under David when everything that God had promised was true. We see the rise of the Essenes who think that uh, we need to be uh, aesthetic and out in the wilderness. We see the rise of the Zealots who think we have to go to war to make this happen. We see the rise of the Pharisees who think we have to be uh, Torah obedient to our core in order for God's blessings to return. But then ultimately we see the person of Christ come and look nothing like what Israel had ever wanted. This, uh, this guy from Nazareth, a carpenter's son, a rabbi school dropout, someone who seemingly uh, is good with his hands but not, not good at uh, institutions, who uh, does these things that he shouldn't be able to do. Our gospel text today talks about him uh, doing signs and wonders and teaching with an authority that has to come from somewhere else. And and they don't understand yet, but we do that. What is coming? What that is coming from is the very uh, divine within him. That he is fully God, and that is why he can do these things that that are uh, blowing their minds. You see that uh, Jesus will uh, face rejection all across the land. He will teach, and he will bear witness to what God's actual desires for the world are. And he will go to the point of death, and then be raised from the dead and then give us his spirit somewhere in the midst of that is the climax of israel's story for israel's story didn't end in exile or even returning from the land israel's story finds its fulfillment in the person of jesus christ and his death resurrection and ascension his gift of the spirit to the church that we might be a people after god's own heart that we might grow in strength and stature because we dwell with the god the lord of hosts the most high the god of israel's hope who is revealed in the person of jesus christ and reveals himself in this text to us no longer do the prophet priest and king mediate god's presence to the people we now are the very temple of god with the holy spirit dwelling in us that we might go and do things that are unimaginable, that we might go and people wonder how in the world do they do that. We might go and people think something miraculous is happening. What felt like the climax for Israel was a grand pivot that set the stage for the ministry and work of Jesus Christ, that that their story found its perfect ending in our story, that God's love is no longer Uh, Situated within the context of geography or uh, nationality, that God's love is with all those who would say, I believe, and that God's grace would be for those who aren't even ready to believe yet, that God would meet each and every one of us in wherever we are, that whether our grace needs this day are provenient or justifying or sanctifying, God will meet us where we are and dwell with us. We, we experience the joy that is the fullness of Israel's story. And we have the hope that we might bear witness, like David did, to what it means to be a people of the God Most High, that we might bear, bear witness to what it means to be the people who see Christ as our Lord. We are the effect of all that Christ did. We are God's presence in the world, and we are God's witness to a hurting, warring world. That God loves you and will dwell with you. But God actually calls us to go and do something with that. To be so remarkably the different that the world looks at us and goes, what is that? How are they so joyful, peaceful, patient, kind? good, full of self-control? How are they blessed when they are meek? How is it when they hunger and thirst for righteousness that we would go and be remarkable? And we can only do that through God's grace. We, we so often resonate with Israel's story when they get it wrong because we know how often we get it wrong. So many points, we could be the ones in the wilderness going, it would have been better to stay in Egypt. We could have been the ones in exile going, God has forgotten about us. And we could be the ones in the time of Jesus going, kill him, he's breaking the law. And yet God keeps meeting us. and keeps offering us his grace. Offering us a life of holy love that he will set us free from the bondage of sin and death and will set us free for holiness. I believe he does that through some everyday everyday ordinary means through uh, encountering him as he's revealed in scripture through uh, speaking directly to him in prayer through denying ourselves through the practice of fasting through uh, the gathering in worship and through the experience of the sacraments uh, The sacraments have been all over the news over the last uh, few months, if you haven't noticed. Um, Every news outlet in the world has called their Catholic friend uh, to ask about the sacrament. And, And most of these are clearly people who have not studied sacramental theology and are just trying to say what the Catholic Church thinks. I'll leave that to the journalists and authors, but I'll tell you what the Methodist Church thinks, that all are welcome at this table Whether you are coming for the first time and declaring that Christ is Lord of your life or whether you are uh, one step away from sanctification, the table is welcome to all. Wesley saw it as a converting ordinance and a sanctifying ordinance that you might come to the table and experience the grace of God for the first time or in a way that continues to draw you towards holiness. here that we meet the God most high, that we encounter uh, literally the body and blood of Christ, the, the climactic end of Israel's story and the beginning of our story, and that we are fed for the ministry that Christ has called us to. Would you pray with me before we come to the table? Holy and loving God, We give thanks that we can trust that you dwell with us. And that just as David grew in stature because you are with him, we can grow in holiness because you are with us. Lord, would you meet us in these means of grace and lavish us uh, exactly where we are with your love, with your grace, and with the ministry of your spirit. And would you send us out in the power of your spirit to go and do extraordinary things that we can only do through your love and through your grace and through your spirit. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And by the power of your Holy Spirit who comforts us and counsels us and guides us in the way that leads to life. Amen and amen.